this morning, and um, uh, what an interesting book to study. Lots of fun, but um, also it just reveals to us the trouble the church was going through back in the day. Let's go to God in a, in a word of prayer together, please. <laughs> oh, great and masterful Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy divine name and thank you so very much for all that you've done and all that you do for us, for waking us from our beds of slumber and allowing us to be here this day. And Lord God, it's uh, such a true blessing to realize that this is yet another day that we are living on this earth and preparing ourselves to be with you forever in the heavens. Thank you for your love. Please guide us in the study and grant to us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. All right, Jude. So uh, Jude verses 1 and verse 2. Jude opens up as a bondservant, right? Uh, he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. When Jude introduces himself, he does not introduce himself first as the brother of James, who is the brother of Jesus. Right? So there's this, this bit of humility. Right? He first says, I'm Jude, and yes, you know me as the brother of the Lord. Right? Matthew tells us that. Um, but I am foremost a bondservant, just like you are of the Most High God. Right? That being Jesus Christ. And so there's this humility, this level of humility that you find in Jude in his writing, and yet there's this powerful sermon that he's going to preach, that the message about the false teachers who are coming into or have come into the church. Jude, when you go back and you say a little history, you find that the book of Jude and Second Peter, there was this issue because um, when they were going through the determination of whether or not the book of Jude should be in the canon, right, the books of the Bible. Of course, the book was being circulated like all the other books within the Brotherhood um, as a book that is authorized by God and inspired by God. Because it sounded so much like Second Peter uh, chapter 2, they were like, mm, you know, what do we do with that? Because when you read Second Peter 2 and you read Jude, they are very similar in what you're reading, right? And we believe, I believe personally, that Second Peter 2 came first. Right? I think Peter wrote his, his book first, uh, and then Jude wrote his book second. Um, because when you read Second Peter 2 and verse 1, Peter speaks of, speaks of things to come, and Jude speaks of the exact same things that have come. All right? So Peter's telling you it's on the way, and then Jude is saying, oh, by the way, it's here right now. Right? What are we dealing with? We're dealing with these, these brethren who have amassed this idea that we can infiltrate the Lord's church and, and we're going to cause all kinds of trouble in the body by bringing these false teachings uh, into, the, into the church and lead people astray. And it seems to have been, based on what Peter writes and now what Jude writes, it's very intentional. Right? It wasn't like these are people who are just misled, but, although they are misled by Satan, but they're intentional in their desire to destroy the church pretty amazing it reminds us 
of the things Jesus talked about, about um, when he, he gave the parable of the, the tares and the wheat, and he says, Satan sowed them in, right? How did tares get in amongst the wheat? And he says, well, Satan sowed them there. Jesus tells us that. So here we have these tares in the body of Christ who are causing all kinds of, of, of trouble and reaping all kinds of havoc within the body of Christ. So as a result of that, Jude has to change his, um, his mindset because verse 3 tells us, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. So on one hand, he had this idea, you know, this is what I want to write to the brethren. This is what God is, where God is leading me. And then the Holy Spirit says, mm, no, you're not going to do that. Instead, I need you to write about this. I need you to write about this very real issue within the church, encouraging the brethren to remain faithful and true to the common faith. And that word common is so important because the idea in this, in this literature is that our faith is common. There's only one faith, right? It's in God's eyes, as far as his church. There's only one church. It's still the same faith. In those days, there was only one church. So there was the, the church and the enemy, and that was it. I mean, there was no other, right? And so um, Jude is saying, we all have this common faith, which means we also have this common struggle, which means we also serve a common Lord, our Lord, the only the only true God. So here's, here's the question that I want to ask you this morning that um, may seem, it's a, maybe it's rhetorical, but maybe it, it isn't. Beloved, while I was writing, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you should contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our god into licentiousness <clears throat> deny uh, and deny our only master and lord jesus christ should we be should we be more on the alert maybe than we have been as a body of believers for false brethren or people in general who creep in, I guess it's twofold, are, are there still people creeping in, but who creep in and, and they have a desire to divide us and destroy us. Shall we be more on the alert or shall we, we be more passive about that? Yeah, right. We're on the alert, right? But, but does it still happen today? It does, doesn't it? See, you see, Satan hasn't changed his ways. And so they crept in unnoticed, which means when they came in, it was like, hey, they're one of us. And then over time, right, over time, and you start going, whoa, wait a minute. Um... So in, in, this, in this day, imagine what was going on. They were having, uh, Jews going to tell us later, as Peter did, about their, their love feast. And they were, I mean, everything was going great and wonderful. And then all of a sudden, these, these subtle, maybe it was subtle, um, but these, these 
changes in doctrine began to infiltrate the church. This idea that sexual immorality really isn't as bad as you think it is. You guys got to think about this in a different way. The church has been so um, strict. Is that a good word to use? The church is so strict when it comes to, is it being strict or is it being obedient, right, to God? The church is so strict. We're just so, and then in the world today, again, you know, this idea of, um, you know, we're supposed to be more more tolerant and we're supposed to be, um, we're supposed to change with the world, right? The world's changing. So God, I remember being taught that when I was first talking to someone about God, um, you know, we didn't talk much about God, but in, in this instance, we talked about God just a little bit. And it was like, well, you know, and, you know, dating our age. Well, these are the 90s, you know, right? These are the 80s, you know, God changes with the times. God understands. Things aren't the way they used to be. You know, a long time ago, it used to be like this, but you know, not anymore. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I started believing that, which is interesting. But they crept in unnoticed, and they were very, very dangerous. And so the reality is, is what happened was being unaware they let the devil in, and they didn't even know it. Well, that kind of sounds harsh, doesn't it, for us to say something like that as a, as a body of believers that, you know, we're trying not to let the devil in. And you go, well, are we, are we that, are we mean people? Are we, what's wrong with us? <laughs> you know, and that's how they stay, because then they can make you feel bad about what you believe, Right? <laughs> Make you feel bad about it, you know. Well, you know, uh, well, we want to be um, welcoming and open, and we don't we don't want to, you know, um, isolate anyone, if you will, or we don't want to expose anyone in that sense and embarrass them. And so we got to find a way to be kind, and we're supposed to be the one. No, wait a minute. This is about life and death, isn't it? See, that's the real issue. It's like, how would you deal with a criminal who comes into your home or? Someone who's trying to, you know, just trying to harm you or your family. Do you say, "Hey, you know what? Everything's gonna be fine." You know, I mean, what do you? How do you deal with that? Right? We're a little, we're a little, we're not passive. We deal with it. What about life and death in the church? Yes. You know, it's interesting. Use the word content. I'm going to give you this because I know you. We can hear you well, but folks online. So, <laughs> thank you, brother. Thank you. In fact, Alice, do you mind passing it around? We use this, though, word content. <laughs> That's a strong action. Mm-hmm. You know, and we also, other scriptures talk about being vigilant and uh, fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. Wear the whole armor of God. We're not supposed to be just passive Christians that just listen and, you know, do whatever. Mm-hmm. We're we're supposed to be active in holding firm to what's right. Yes, yes. And so you use the word fight and armor. That means we're at war. I, and I think if we forget that, we lose. <laughs> we cannot forget that we are literally at war, aren't we? There's a war going on. In, the Bible talks about the five kingdoms, right? And uh, in Daniel, and then he says in the you know, last kingdom, um, we will never be destroyed. And that's the church. And every kingdom has always been at war. We are at war. Satan is still trying to do what? He's still trying to cause our souls to be lost. 
He's still trying to destroy us, right? Individually, independently, and collectively. And if we don't recognize it, then books like Jude, we could just, we could just rip them out. We don't need them any longer, right? We don't need this book. No, this book is, is uh, an old book, it's ancient, and it's uh, invalid in our day. But the reality is, God is making it clear, it is not invalid. It's a very real book. And we've got to really think about what's going on in the Lord's body. Things that are, things that are coming in, have crept in, um, things that are uh, continually tasking us to make a decision as to which direction we are supposed to go into. Go with God, or we find a way to make it work. And the answer is we always go with God, right? The problem is when we go with God, the church really struggles, meaning individuals uh, begin to say, well, wait a minute, maybe we ought to rethink this. Maybe we ought to be more, more, um, more passive, and, and this is not what God wants. And yet the Bible's clear as to what God wants. It's a battle of the souls. It is still a battle of the souls. It will forever be a battle of the souls against Satan. So when we read the, the book of Jude, uh, we're starting at verse 5 and reading through, I want you to listen. We're going to just, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it verse by verse, but I want you to listen to the language, the strong language that, that Jude uses and, and, um, and think about, well, where is that coming from, right? It's the inspired word of God. Where is it coming from? Verse 5. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Remember the question? Well, Moses asks, well, God, you know, if you, if, if you destroy the people who you rescue, the people in the land of Canaan are going to say, well, well God, you, you brought them out of Egypt, but then you destroyed them. What kind of God is that? And yet God says, I did destroy them. Because God doesn't care what people think about him. He's God. <laughs> right? Why did he destroy them? Why did God, you know, destroy the people, um, his people? Why did he do that? It was for those who did not believe. Think about morale and spirituality and unity and togetherness. If we're going, now I'm going to a military idea, when you're going through a military uh, training and you're preparing for a battle, whatever it may be, if you have anyone that has a morale issue, if there's someone that's bringing the team down, what do you do with that individual? You separate them from the main group. Why? They'll, go ahead. Yeah, you don't affect the others, right? They'll bring the rest of the people's morale down. And so that's what God does. You look through the scriptures, you find God over time. He'll give us an example of many people that he had to, to remove from the, the, the brotherhood, if you will, that day, the nation of Israel, because they were causing an apostasy. Because they didn't believe. So look at them at the Red Sea. The Red Sea, and, and it's time to cross the Red Sea. What if, what if the whole front row of, uh, you know, maybe 20, maybe, uh, I don't know, 200 people were saying, no, stop, people, don't go. God's setting us up. How many people would have said, yeah, I guess, yeah, because that doesn't make any, you know, I mean, the sea parted and why should we go through that it would have it would have just it would have halted for just a moment the plan of god right and and so um god says well some of the israel you start with his own people some of the israelites my own people who were standing in unbelief had to be destroyed for the sake of whom the rest right 
And then he goes in, into the next verse 6, even angels. He goes to the, so he starts with his people on earth. He gets to the angels, the world of, uh, the angelic world. He says, even in, in angels who, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Angels, we wouldn't have even known that, would we? I mean, if God didn't tell us, we don't know what's going on in, in the heavenlies. But he says, I want you to know that no one escapes. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. Not even angels that God created for a specific purpose when they step outside of their purpose. They had to be destroyed. Wait, isn't he talking about the church? Yeah, the message is to the church. What is God trying to tell us? Church, we've got to stay proactive and do something when we witness evil going on. I love it when um, we, we start talking to brother and we all have the same, and maybe I'll say this and you'll go, yeah, I remember thinking that. This same idea, when, you know, growing up in the Lord's church, you know, many of you grew up in the, going to church all the time and you were baptized and you surrendered to God and then you started hearing some of the older members say things like, did he just say, no, he didn't say that. And the preacher did say that. And you let it go and that was the first, that was the step. That was the beginning. And then maybe a year later or so, or maybe six months later, he says something else that's like borderline. And you start going, did he, did he, just, did the teacher just, wait, we don't get that. Why are you saying, we don't understand. And the next thing you know, before you know it, all this, all this doubting. You know, when I was in college, I remember we were um, studying kind of some of the ideas of being, how to be aware uh, and um, the questions, the questions that were being asked, like, um, well, I mean, is that really what God means when he says that? And then the church says, well, some say, well, yeah, I mean, he means what he says and he says what he means. And then, and then you have another third saying, well, I, well, yeah, I never thought that he would have meant something different, but would he have thought that? And then another third says, well, what did he mean when he said that? Because when we don't know what he... And then you have this, what do you have? Division, right? <laughs> a division in the body. And everyone's trying to figure... And then you have to get back to the scriptures. But, um, but it's that idea, the power of suggestion. That's how a lot of people uh, have fallen. A lot of us have fallen for false doctrine. It begins with the power of suggestion, right? We, we have to be very careful with what we say. Um to the masses or behind the closed doors or wherever it may be because there are, there are people who will creep in and they will begin to divide the church, conquer and divide. We know that. We understand that from a worldly military um, standpoint, you know, if you will, of wars. And But why, why is it different with the church? Right? Satan works the same way over and over and over again. And I can't wait to bring you some lessons on that uh, coming up soon to show you kind of how Satan works, how he's worked from the very beginning and how he continues to work today. So so here we are with, again, angels. Now he brings in the angelic realm to us. And then he says, okay, and now I want you to remember something. Remember something. Okay, what should we remember? Verse verse 7. Justice, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Now how do we dismiss that one? Right? The world wants to throw that one away, though, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, we know exactly what was going on there because God told us 
And yet today there is a group of people going around saying, well, you know what? God didn't really destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, did he? Another group goes around and says, God didn't really destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for, or for the reasons of sexual immorality, did he? And we're going, well, of course he did. Well, I don't know if you Christians really know what you're talking about. And then what are we doing? We're going, well, 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 I mean, that's we, uh, I mean, I don't know. The Bible says it. Well, see, that's just it. And then they go to the next step. See, the Bible doesn't really give you all the truth. Well, what do you mean by that? And then the people are led astray. That's how we're led astray. And that's where we become more like the world instead of being like God. So Jude says, these teachings have crept in unnoticed and the church in the you know first century so this is like 60 something ad the church in the first century they were struggling the same way knowing for well yeah these things did happen and what's amazing about the first century church struggling to show the power of satan 60 ad there were still miracles going on there were still chosen people who were the, the apostles were still alive and and yet and yet the church was struggling that's the power of satan that's the power of evil, right? So, Solomon and Gomorrah, verse, verse 7. Just as Solomon and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of, yeah, not just the fires on earth, but it says eternal fire. You don't even have to second guess what happened to those people, right? Because God tells you, Right? Oh, sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Remember, the idea was, and Peter was, you know, there's two things important in our world today. Satan's, Satan's M.O., if you will, is money, right? The gold and sexual morality, right? Gold and sex, you got it, right? That's what this world's all about. And God says, no, you got to change your perspective, your idea, your mindset about what life is really all about. It's not about those two things, right? So, he says, I want you to remember the example. What example? Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just a physical burning, but spiritually as well. Right? They did not go to heaven. Ooh. Because they're in the eternal fire. So we don't have to second guess it. Right? But the, again, these people have crept in to say, you know, maybe God didn't really do that. Right? And then the next verse, verse 8. Yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce it against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So that's that idea of these men are willing to, you know, talk to God, right? The angelic realm as well as God himself, in a very evil and um, rebellious way. They have no fear, no shame. It's kind of scary when you think about it, right? There's no fear. There's no shame. They know their, their agenda. They know their, their goals. They know what they, what they have in mind. And they, they, in the same manner, it says in this verse, um, by dreaming, that's interesting, um, what was that body of Moses thing all about? <laughs> what do you think Satan was going to do with that? You know, he had some ideas, didn't he? Satan was going to use that body for something evil. We know that. So that means that when you think about... Uh, you know, he was going to dig that body up. If he could find that body, he's going to do something with that body. So God says, you can't have this one, Satan. Right? You can't have this one. So God buried the body of Moses in a place that Satan couldn't find. Right? 
That means that they were looking for it. <laughs> Think about that. They were going to use the body of Moses for some kind of idolatry or something, some kind of whatever they were going to do with it. But Michael the archangel didn't argue with Satan about that. He let God deal with him, which is great, right? The Lord rebuke you. And the Lord rebuke all who strive to cause lost or save people to be lost. The Lord rebuke you, right? That's, that has to be our attitude. This is about the saved and the lost, right? This, this is about saving the body of Christ. Well, you know, preacher, if we, if we, if we start, if we do this and, we are, and, we, and we're vigilant in trying to maintain the cause of Christ, what, what will the world think of us? We're going to shrink as a body of believers. And if half of us believe and the other half don't, do we really have the numbers you think we have? Absolutely not. You only have, you only have half. The rest are just here. You only have half. So our, our responsibility, our desire, and our goal should be that all of us are saved, right? Like holding hands and going to heaven together. That should be our joy, our desire. Let's hold hands and get to heaven together, brethren, right? That's the goal, right? In the end, that's the goal for all of us, for each of us. But these people that Jude, Jude speaks of, that's not their goal. Their goal is to destroy every one of us why i don't even understand that i just i have this belief and maybe you know i'm sure you have the same belief but look if i'm not going to live for god and i'm not going to preach the truth i'll just leave i'll go do something else i don't have to preach if it gets to the point where the church starts you know putting pressure on me that i can't handle and i'm going to teach something false i'm gone not not that i'm leaving the lord i'm just i'm not going to preach i don't have to preach I can do you know, I can do so many other things. This is this is a love. You know, I love doing this. And I love God. So, but if it comes down to where I don't love God any longer, and I and I I can't handle the pressure or whatever's going on, I'm done. I'm just gonna walk away. I'll come in here. I'll sit in the pews and I'll do all that I can to help. I'll assist, but I do not need to be up on a microphone talking to people any longer. Right? That should be our attitude, right? That should always be our attitude forever. Go do something else. But, but there are some who call or who desire the destruction of the souls of humanity intentionally. So look at the next verse, verse, verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So what's the rule about when you don't understand something? Don't teach on it. <laughs> Simple. Oh, but the, no, the, the church says, if you, if you don't teach on these things, then we, you know, <laughs> may I say kindly, <laughs> does it really matter what the church says? What matters is what God says. If I don't understand a topic, I'm not going to teach on it. Right? You just go study. Well, that's what we pay you for. No, you don't. It's not why you pay me. You pay me to teach God's word. If I don't understand God's word, I'm not really teaching God's word, right? We have to be vigilant. We have to stand. We have to know our own strengths, our own weaknesses, our own limitations. But these men, they took the things they didn't understand, and then they turned them into something that wasn't true. And he's going to keep talking about this as, as uh, 
as he gives more examples of how these people work. So Balaam and Balak. So easy to remember those two because Balak was a king, K, and then Balaam was, all right. So Balaam, if you look back at his, his history, he practiced divination and witchcraft at some point in his whatever, in his work. But, but God called him to also be a, a prophet for himself. Or maybe he was already a prophet for God, and then he turned. I, I believe that's the way it works out when you look at Balaam. Balak comes along, the king, and says, I want to honor you, and I'll give you more money than you can handle. More, I'll give you the gold, I'll give you um, prestige, you'll have it all. So, Balaam knows that God said no. But the gold called him a little bit stronger, right? So look at what happened. Verse 11, woe to them. For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay, they've rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Three powerful examples. Balaam's, let's see, um, is a whole numbers, what, uh, 23 through 26 or so. What about Cain? What did he do? He killed, he killed one-fourth of the earth's population. <laughs> Cain. Murdered his, why did he murder his brother again? Because he was wrong. That's interesting. So he was wrong, and he couldn't, he couldn't handle his, his guilt in his own mind. He said to God, my punishment is too, too great for me. But instead of Instead of just surrendering where God says, you've got to control your anger, Cain, Cain took out, you know, his own, it's not even revenge, right? It's just, it's just outright murder. He murdered his innocent brother. So here, here you have again, you have the, the ones who desire evil, capitalizing on or destroying the innocent. Then you have Balaam doing the exact same thing, right? Balak said, I want you to curse these people, God said, no, these people are blessed. But Balaam went anyway, you know, the donkey story, etc., right? Balaam went anyway to curse the innocent people. And then he talks about Korah again to destroy Moses, the innocent people. He gives you three examples of the evil or wicked who are cursing the innocent. And you know what? The innocent, the innocent suffered. Abel was murdered, right? Korah, if you will, led a rebellion against Moses, and he had some with him who, who didn't truly understand, but they also were destroyed with Korah. The point is, when people rise up against God's people, God's people always win, right? Maybe not in the, in the moment, not in the immediate, but God's people always win. And then he goes on to describe them, and he says, verse uh, 12, these men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast, like our potluck, right? So like a potluck, and they come, and they're amongst us, and we're eating, and we're fellowshipping, and we get to know them. We're like, oh, you're, and we laugh, and we joke, and it's a wonderful event, and they come to the next potluck, and they're in our midst, and the next thing you know, they start getting their gathering, and they're following Right? Start getting their fight. And who are they seeking after? The strong or the weak? The weak, right? 
trying to find, trying to infiltrate us, trying to find the weak and the weaknesses within the church and then ultimately bring them to destruction. They're in your love feast, he says. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear. Caring for themselves. And then he gives you some examples of, of uselessness. They're like clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Now, how do you, how are you doubly dead? That's pretty bad, right? That's reminds me of the Pharisees. Um, talk more about that in a second. Sounds like hate speech, doesn't it? <laughs> right? You know, you go up there and, and, um, you go up there and you just say, okay, look, here we, we have some doubly dead people here today. And we're going to talk about the doubly dead. Start going, what? Interesting title for a moment. And then you're like, hey, wait a minute. You're talking about me. Well, who, who are you to judge me? Well, we don't. We're just. What do we do about people who creep in unnoticed? And then all of a sudden, you notice something. What do you do about that? Well, what do we do about that? What does the church today do about that in, in general? Nothing until it's too late. Until it's too late. So if we were to go around and, and you go on a vacation, and some of you who have been in you know, members of the body for a long, long time, in the 48, traveling around, and then go back and visit some of those congregations, those buildings, if you will, and you realize that it's, it's, the church is no longer there, what happened? Jude told you what happened. Some folks crept in unnoticed and destroyed the body of Christ. Or maybe they're meeting somewhere else. And thank God for that. But what happened? What happened to some of our universities? Right? What happened? Satan crept in. Right? And then it's no longer a university that is, if you will, run by members of the Church of Christ. And now it's just a university. What happens? Right? Satan creeps in and we do nothing for a little while and then they have too much power and next thing you know we're the, we're the minority and not the majority and then members of the body walk away and say, hey, well, I have nothing else to do with this. And they go worship somewhere else and you go back and you visit that same building and it's something totally different. And you go, wow, the church used to be here. I don't, I don't even know where to find the church in, in, in this area any longer. Right? So here's what happened. They, they crept in and they joined in all the festivity and the fun and then they started introducing false doctrine without fear. They aren't afraid of being caught or found out, or discovered. They're, they're not afraid of that. It doesn't bother them. They're not afraid. They have a mission. And so on this mission, their, their, their desire is to uh, destroy the church because look at what it says in, still in verse 12. Who do they care for? Themselves. They only care about themselves. They don't care about anyone else. They don't care about you. So, so what if you find out who I am? Who cares? I only care about myself anyway. Right? This this doesn't sound like Christians, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're right there in the Lord's church. Again, tares in the wheat. The Bible tells us clearly that 
Satan, he's also sowing a seed, but it's a, it's a seed of destruction. So imagine being agriculturalists, which most of them were, how they understood this next thought. They're like, they're like clouds with no water. You know, it's like, okay, um, you, you want the promise of this rain cloud to bring water. They're carried away by uh, winds. You don't want, don't want too many winds or strong winds because um, it could destroy your crop. Autumn trees without fruit, well, that doesn't help any, right? We need the fruit for sustenance and food. Doubly dead, and then it says they're, they're uprooted. And so uh, they have no root in God, right? We be, be rooted and grounded in the faith. Remember you read that before? Well, they're not rooted. They're unrooted. You know, God's tearing them up, right? And also about these people, um, it says that they're doubly dead. So, so when, you, when you go back and think about the Pharisees, Jesus said, you travel about land and sea, and you make someone twice as much a son of hell as the rest. Because instead of converting them to Christ, they convert them to Phariseeism, right? While converting them to Christ. They use Christ as this opportunity to start teaching them their ways, and then that's where the doubly dead comes from. Jesus dealt with that himself in Matthew chapter 23. So none of this stuff's gone away. It's like, it's like Satan just keeps coming. He keeps coming. And he won't stop. And it's all about souls. It's all about destroying you. It's about, it's about destroying, destroying me. And then he, in verse 13, he continues, Wild waves uh, of the sea, casting out their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And about these also Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. So now he goes way back to the beginning before the flood and says, Enoch preached about these same people. See, Satan working the same way. He doesn't change. Same stuff. It's the same stuff. Enoch preached the same stuff. Hey, people, don't be this way. Change, etc., etc. It was the same stuff. Same sins. The same everything, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Cain preached to them, or rather Enoch, excuse me, the seventh generation from Adam, he's preaching to them and saying, you guys got to change. You got to change. And that's in Genesis 5, right? What happened in Genesis 6, right? God says, Noah, I'm about to kill all these people. Seven and eight, the flood waters, and everybody dies except for the eight souls in the ark. It, does God know and does God care? Of course God knows and of course God cares and God is going to have his way in his time, but we have to stay strong and stay with the Lord and be the people of God. Well, that comes at a price. That means we are, we talked about it earlier, we're at war. We have to remember that and recognize that and maybe even, even accept that. So, Enoch was preaching, verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch was preaching that. Enoch was saying, you know what God's about to do? And he did it, didn't he? Unless you just wipe Genesis 6, 7, and 8 out and all the other passages that go along with the flood. God sent the flood waters and destroyed the entire earth. 
except for eight people. And Jude reaches all the way back there and says, no, God is serious about sin. And then he says, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Same stuff, right? Satan don't. So imagine, you know, a preacher, um, you know, thank God. Say, okay, thank God. From here we go to Philippians. Whew, it's a much softer book. What if you start dissecting Jude and you do that in a sermon series? Before you know it, you'd watch the numbers begin to dwindle away. Because people don't like to deal with truth. This is what's happening in the body of Christ and has been happening amongst the body of God's people from the very beginning of time. And if we don't wake up and recognize it and just acknowledge it and surrender to God in humility, this could happen to us as well. You know how many calls we get? Yeah, we're just looking for the Lord's church in your area because it's just hard to find it. Yeah, right. It's hard to find the Lord's church in the world today. What's happening? It's right here. Jews telling us. Peter's warned us. Jesus warned us. The apostles warned us. The prophets warned us. We're, we're being warned that Satan is infiltrating the church. He's, he's not out there. Don't worry about the world. I say he's not. Of course, he's in the world. He's in the world, but he doesn't want to be in the world. He already has them. He wants us. So he's got to get in here. Don't let him in to your heart. Right? Individually and collectively, don't let him in. And that's what the next section is all about. Keep yourself in the Lord. Stay in the Lord. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last time there should be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Wait anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the... What? Fire. And on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Don't fall for it, church. Don't fall for it. Right? Sex and money, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Right? Verse 24, now, to him who is able, ah, there's the answer. How, God? Now, to him who is able, look to Jesus, right? Now, to him who is able, to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To Him who is able to make you stand. 
Oh, I thought it was me. No, no, not you, preacher. You can't stand by yourself. You gotta lean on Jesus. Right? We all have to lean on the one who's able to make us stand. Right? Jesus. Right? On God. So when we're dealing with trouble in our midst, you gotta know how to deal with it. Number one, be willing to deal with it. Be willing. Galatians says, look to yourself first, but be willing to deal with trouble in the Lord's church. Number two, always look to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Never make it or allow it to become about you because it isn't. It isn't about me. If you think about it, right? You say, well, we don't like what you said. Okay, that's fair, but I didn't say anything. Jesus said it. So really, it's not my issue. It's your issue with Jesus. So I don't have to get upset about it, do I? No, because you're telling me what you don't like about Jesus. Right? Let's not fall for it, church. All right, thank you for your time this morning, uh, Lobel, and next week, right in the Philippians. Um, so God bless you. Thank you.